0: chapter number 22, the book of Numbers chapter number 22, and uh, I'm going to try if I can, I, you know, I, I've gotten to the place where I don't, I don't say I'm preaching sermon series, amen, because if you say you're in a series, then you, you're kind of, you're obligated, you're in it, you're hooked in it, uh, so I quit saying I'm preaching sermon series, so I'm just going to preach on a related topic, uh, loosely interconnected messages for an undetermined amount of time, Whatever connectedness they have, you can, uh, you, you can decide that between you and the Lord. Amen. But they are going to sort of all be about the same thing. That way I'm not committed. Amen. Uh, but, uh, I was giving thought the other day and truthfully this conversation or this, uh, this, uh, series, uh, this, uh, outline came out of a conversation me and my wife were having. Uh, we we're just talking about, sometimes we'll talk about interesting things in the Word of God. I do not know really even how this conversation came about, but we began to talk about donkeys in the Word of God. Uh, Donkeys have a great place of prominence in the Word of God. Uh, And in fact, the Bible talks about uh, the similarities between a donkey and between a servant of God. If you had gone through that part of the world, you'd have certainly seen far more donkeys and camels uh, being used and employed than you would have mighty horses and steeds. And if you think about donkeys in the Word of God, I think we'll find some similarities between the life and experiences of a believer, of a child of God, of a servant of God, uh, and the life of what a donkey did and was. And I think maybe as we walk through this uh, passage, you'll, you'll gain a little bit better understanding uh, about what I mean. Uh, Numbers chapter number 22. Let's begin reading in verse number 21. We'll read down to verse number 34. Uh, i found in my Bible about four places where a donkey features prominently in a text of Scripture. There are other places they're mentioned, uh, but these seem to be places where they are given a place of prominence. And uh, this would be the first one. Numbers chapter number 22. When we approach this passage, there's a prophet by the name of Balaam. Uh, who has been sort of scouted, recruited, hired by the Moabites and the Midianites to curse the people of God. I thank the Lord that He put a donkey there to stand in the way of that. Uh, Numbers chapter number 22, verse number 21, the Bible says this, "...and Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. God's anger was kindled because He went. The angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against Him." Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyard, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself under the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where it was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, "'What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times?' Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would there were a sword in mine hand, for now would I kill thee. The ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden? Ever since I was thine unto this day, was I ever want to do so unto thee? And he said, Nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. The angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. The ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displease thee, I will get me back again. Let's pray together. Lord, we do love you. And we ask, Father, that you would use this passage in our hearts and minds. Let us, let us apprehend and absorb the truth of, of these qualities that are so vital and necessary in our lives. And may we be willing too, Lord, to do just the the work and the service and the office of a simple donkey that we might be Your servant, that we might be used of You to uplift Christ, to bring glory unto You, and to draw others unto You. Father, we do love You. And we thank You for this time, this opportunity. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in the Word of God, a donkey was the most prevalent and common beast of burden that you would have found anywhere... Basically, at any given time in biblical history, they had other animals, they had oxen to plow with, and uh, they had horses to ride into battle with, and uh, they had camels for long-term sort of uh, marathon journeys, long journeys that they would take. But the day-to-day animal that would have been implemented and used day in and day out for every common responsibility and, and job and function would have been but a simple donkey. Donkeys are not something that are tremendously popular here in this part of the world. Uh, you see those miniature fuzzy ones, amen? Every woman in this room would buy 12 of them if she could probably, uh, keep them in her living room, amen? Uh, they they love those little mini donkeys. Uh, it's not very often you see a full-grown regular donkey in this part of the country. They are around, uh, but most of the time you see these miniature donkeys. What you find more prevalently here in this part of the country are mules, which of course are a donkey hybrid. And the mule retains many of the characteristics, positive and otherwise, of a donkey. Can I just name a few of them? And I want you to think about this in light of both the donkey's role and function in Scripture, but also in relation to what God says about you and I. I think when we think about a donkey, the first thing that probably comes to our mind is the stubbornness of a donkey. They and mules alike are stubborn, stubborn creatures. In fact, that is really the great impediment. There's not really very many negative things you could say about them. They're born and bred and created and designed to be a, a work animal. And they are, they are many things that lend themselves to be used in service for another. But they have one main problem with it. And that is that they are strong-willed and stubborn. And there's been many a donkey and many a mule throughout uh, human experience... That could have been used to great potential. But their will could never be broken. And their stubbornness could never be overcome. You know, that sounds a lot like a Christian to me. We have limitless potential. We have the God of glory that will use us for His honor and glory. He will equip us and enable us and empower us for almost unlimited and unthinkable things. But there is one thing that is absolutely required. It is a vital necessity. It is irreplaceable. That is that our will must be surrendered unto His will. And we as human beings are naturally stubborn creatures. The Bible says this, that there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. In fact, it was so important, God went out of His way to say it twice in the same book, in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to us, and when convinced of it, it is almost impossible to disabuse a person of a notion that they are convinced they are right about. It's the reason the Bible says that a man that is wise in his own conceit, that there's more hope of him than a fool. And when Solomon says that in the book of Proverbs, he goes down a big long list of all the reasons that fools are hopeless and helpless. And then he turns around and he says, but if there's a man that is convinced that he could never be wrong about anything, that is convinced he could never be mistaken about anything, if there's someone that has enshrined his will up into a place of idolatrous worship, that there's more hope of a fool than of that man. Stubbornness, friend, is the great impediment to God being able to use us. There's times I can't talk about your life because I don't know it very well, but I can talk about mine. There's times that everything's been in line for God to use me, but I just couldn't get over my own will enough for God to be able to use me. And we are predisposed to that nature. Think about the stubbornness of the donkey, but then once you get past that stubbornness, think about the service of a donkey. They are bred to serve others. That's what they're designed to do. They are not particularly attractive creatures. They are not particularly, uh, you know, glamorous or beautiful creatures. There's nothing stoic about them. There's, there's nothing noble about them. Uh, they are not particularly swift creatures. They can move faster than probably you'd think. But certainly if you want to win the Kentucky Derby, you're not going to do it on a donkey. Really, the very thing that makes them so useful is that they are designed as a beast of burden to carry others and to pull heavy loads. In other words, their whole worth and value is wrapped up in their ability of service. Christ taught His disciples to have this same spirit. He said, if you want to be first among you, make yourself last. If you want to be Lord over many, then make yourself servant over many. And in fact, the path of servitude is the path to exaltation in the life of the believer. The Lord Jesus Himself taught us this. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation. He took upon Him the form of a man. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, and 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 for sin He died in the flesh, uh, that He became obedient unto death. He became a servant, the Bible says. Took upon Himself the form of a servant, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the path the Lord Jesus laid out. He left ivory palaces of glory, of exaltation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and died the most reprehensible, died the most wicked, died the most cruel, died the most perverse death possible in that day, and died the most cruel and painful death that humanity has ever experienced. But then, listen, Paul doesn't stop there. He says, wherefore? Wherefore? In light of all that, Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The path of exaltation of value is the path of a servant. And that's true in your life and mine. A donkey is bred for service. Not only that, I think about the strength of a donkey. The reason that they are bred for service is because they have such strength. And again, that strength is not necessarily borne testimony and witness to by bulging muscles and sculpted figure. You see some of these, you know, million-dollar horses on TV, man. And every when they're running, when they're racing, every muscle is rippling and every vein is defined uh, in in, in their in their physique. And a donkey is never going to look that that exciting. A donkey is never going to look that impressive. You see, their strength is a concealed strength. And it is a strength that is not bred and built for speed, but it is a strength that is built for slow, steady work. But that strength is undeniable. And that's why they, for millennia, have been used. Uh, Listen, you'd be amazed what you can do when God yokes up to you. You look at a donkey and think, man, that ain't much. But you put the harness on it. You put the, the saddle on it. You put the load on it. And you'll be amazed what it'll bear. In the same respect, hey, listen, you and I, we may not look like much. I know I don't. (laughs) We may not seem as though God could use us very much. But Christ said, take my yoke upon you. And when we yoke up with Him, man, there's no telling how He can use us. Our strength is in direct correlation to our weakness and our willingness to allow God's strength to shine and minister through us. Therefore, if we'll be willing to acknowledge our our impotence and our helplessness, the strength that we serve in is the strength of God Almighty that created the worlds that have done all things. I see the strength of a donkey. Think with me about the sure-footedness of a donkey. I was talking to uh, somebody the other day, and I don't know a ton about donkeys. I know more about it now than I did two weeks ago, but uh, we were talking about donkeys and mules in particular. Because again, in this part of the country, a mule is far more common than a donkey. And uh, this person told me this, and I checked up on it. I wouldn't have thought this would have been the case, but I checked up on it. They were talking about the price of donkeys. And he said this. He said, a good, well-bred Tennessee walking horse with a good, easy gait that is made for long journeys. I'm talking about a good one will cost you about $1,500. He said, but a very basic mule that is not anything impressive, that is not anything beautiful, that is untested and untried, he said, will run you about $2,500 or $3,000. I said, why is that? He said, because as well as we can breed horses, we cannot make them as sure-footed as a mule is because they have that blood of a donkey in them. A donkey is known as a sure-footed animal. Even to this day, if you were to go to the Grand Canyon, pay thousands of dollars, they have tours where you can load up on the back of a donkey and journey down into the very bottom of the canyon. Why are they still, after all these years, using donkeys? You got people paying thousands of dollars. They could they could be helicopter lifted into it, but they're still using donkeys because they know it is the safest, most dependable, most cost effective way to get from the top of that canyon to the bottom because despite all the sheer rock face cliffs, despite all of the narrow, treacherous perilous paths, they can trust that donkey that it will not lose its footing. They are sure-footed animals. They are, we might say this, steadfast animals. Let me tell you this, a child of God that has made up his mind to serve the Lord is someone that if he'll make the service of God the focal point of his life, uh, he'll never slip, he'll never fall, he'll never fail. It's not to say he won't make mistakes. But let's say this, the Bible talks about a righteous man uh, falling seven times, but will not be utterly cast down. And I believe that the most sure-footed thing, the most, the most solid, stable thing that we can do in our lives is make ourselves a servant of God and a servant of others for God. The sure-footedness. Think about the stamina of a donkey. Again, not impressive animals but they have the ability to labor and work and serve for long periods of time. And they do not do so through speed. They do so through steadiness and consistency. Hey, listen, I've seen people when they commit to serve God, God give them, I'm talking about supernatural stamina to keep on going on for the Lord. And the Lord's capable of helping you and of undergirding you and of leading you and of using you. There are times when you think you cannot go. God will help you to go if you're going for Him. I'm gonna say that again because it's real simple and if you're not careful you'll, you'll, you'll miss it. I, I, I'm saying that times when you think you cannot go, God will help you to go if you're going for Him. You'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. So I thought about the stamina of a donkey, but then I thought about the substitute of a donkey. I thought this was interesting in Exodus chapter number 13, verse number 13. Listen to what the Bible says about how a donkey would be bred into and birthed into an Israelite family and flock. The Bible says, "...every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem." Exodus thirty-four nineteen. 19, it's echoed again. It says, "...all that openeth the matrix is mine, and every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep that is male... But the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou redeem him not, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. If a, if a cattle, if an ox, if a sheep was born into an Israelite family, that thing was given unto God as a sacrifice. But because God knew the value of a donkey to an Israelite family, they had another provision. They could take that thing, and if they did not want it, they could kill it. They could break its neck. But if it was going to serve, and if it was going to live, and if it was going to survive, something had to die in its place. Something had to pay the debt. Something had to be the sacrifice. So they could take a lamb and bring it in to die in the place of the donkey so the donkey could go free to serve that family. Hey, listen, if that don't remind us of the story of every single born-again believer sentenced to die, condemned to die... But God saw something in us that we didn't see in ourselves, and God saw something worth saving, something worth redeeming, and so He sent a lamb to die in our place. So that we could not go free in the sense of go wild. That's what some people think, that's what some people think Christian liberty is, is going wild. (laughs) Liberty is not wildness, it's not anarchy. So that we could go free, not so that we could go wild. He set us free, not so that we could live in sensuality, but so we could live in service. Why would they make that purchase? Why would they sacrifice that lamb? Because they knew that donkey could serve their family well. Let me tell you something. Why did God save you and I? Well, He did it out of His great love for us. But as far as the plan of God is concerned, He saved us because He wanted us to serve Him. We're to walk in good works, which we were before ordained to walk in. That's what God has called us to do. And then I, I thought about the selection of a donkey. This is just an introduction material. We still got a good four hours of preaching ahead of us. But I thought about the selection of a donkey. It's funny because you'll find three prominent, important people in the Bible that every one of them rode upon a donkey that did not have to. Now, no doubt there were a lot of people in Israel and and in, in the Bible land and on the Bible map in that day that rode donkeys because they didn't have nothing else. But did you know that three individuals that did not have to ride a donkey that chose to ride a donkey. The first was King David when he was coming in the land of Jerusalem. When he came out of exile and was returning after the insurrection of Absalom, Ziba, the servant of uh, of the house of Saul, and consequently the servant of Mephibosheth, brings donkeys so that the king and his household can ride into Jerusalem upon those donkeys. Not only that, when Solomon was carried to the throne and was coronated, he was not riding a white steed. Uh, He was not riding upon a, a great mighty horse, but rather a small donkey is what he rode into Jerusalem upon and then can we not can we not think about our lord and savior jesus christ who rode into jerusalem himself seated upon a young donkey let me say this the donkey was the choice of kings and 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 culturally speaking this is why because when a king was riding into war he rode a horse but when he rode in peace he rode a donkey In other words, the Lord's desire. The Lord could have rode anything He wanted to. He said, bring me a donkey. And let me tell you something. We might look at others and say, well, God wouldn't choose me. God would choose them. You'd be amazed who God would choose. You know who He wants? He wants somebody that's willing to saddle up and serve Him and be in it for the long haul and be steadfast. The donkey is the choice ride of kings and of God Himself. Well, there are four instances in the Bible where donkeys feature prominently. And I'll go ahead and name them to you uh, before we say a word about the text in front of us tonight. In Numbers chapter 22, where we are this evening, we find that God called a donkey to speak. In Judges chapter number 15, we find that God called a donkey to sacrifice and to be slain in the service of His will, you remember Samson takes the jawbone of a donkey and slays the Philistines. And then in Mark chapter number 11, we find that there's a donkey that's called to saddle and to serve the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That was the choice of the Lord to ride upon. And I want us to notice these. We won't see them all tonight. We'll stay in numbers tonight. But over the next few weeks, if the Lord allows us, we may look at a couple more of these. I want you to notice the text in front of us in Numbers 22. To give you a little bit of context, as we've said, the children of Israel are journeying through the wilderness and they've already been perceived to be a threat by the Midianites and the Moabites. And so the king of Moab has devised a plan. Uh, He believes deeply that the God of Israel is a real God, that He's a powerful God. And he wants that God to curse the children of Israel. He wants that God to turn his back on the children of Israel, on his people. So he goes to a man by the name of Balaam, who is a well-known prophet in that time. And his design, his desire is to hire Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Balaam at first roundly, flatly refuses. But with a little bit of pressure and a little influence, a little cajoling, finally Balaam agrees at least to go hear the king of Moab out. Well, evidently, in the in, in in the footsteps of that journey, God became aware that in the heart of Balaam that Balaam was going to try to betray the children of Israel, and he was going to try to betray his prophetic office. And so God sends the angel of the Lord to stand in the way of Balaam. And the purpose behind this is he's either going to stop Balaam or he's going to slay Balaam. He's either going to keep him from sin or he's going to kill him in his sin. But God is not going to allow Balaam to go and make a spectacle and a sham and a a sort of charade of his prophetic office. And so the angel of the Lord stands in the way of Balaam. But the Lord allows that donkey upon which Balaam is riding to see what Balaam himself could not. That donkey, though Balaam could not see the angel of the Lord for some reason, miraculous undoubtedly, that donkey can see the angel of the Lord. Having loyalty and affection to her master, she does everything she can to try to keep Balaam from meeting his doom and meeting the judgment of God. And we've read it before us here tonight. I won't, I won't retread all of it before we get to the preaching of it. But Balaam refusing to heed and refusing to listen and beating the donkey for its disobedience, finally God opens the mouth of this donkey and this donkey speaks to Balaam and if I can just say it this way, gives him what for? (laughs) Here in this passage we find that God called a donkey to speak. This was an unusual thing. In fact, it's interesting because there's only two times in your Bible that an animal speaks. The first is in the Garden of Eden when the Bible says that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And the serpent begins to speak and begins to tempt and begins to deceive Eve. And then Eve turns around and pressures Adam and they choose to eat of the fruit and mankind is spiraled into depravity. And then here in Numbers 22, we find an animal speaking again. In Genesis chapter 3, that, angel, that uh, animal is doing the will and bidding of Satan. Here in Numbers chapter number 22, this animal is doing the will and bidding of God Almighty. I find in this a beautiful pattern. This is not my message, but I do want to say a word about it. God created animals for them to be in their proper place. Uh, an animal does not have a soul. An animal does not stand on the same value of life as a human being does. I like animals as well as anybody. I like dogs. I've had dogs my whole life and I like them pretty well. And especially if they know how to mind, I like dogs. My wife was raised in a family that bred and sold dogs and showed them in competitions. I like dogs. I like cats. I like them with teriyaki sauce. I like them with duck sauce. I like them with soy sauce. I like animals just fine. But animals are not to be elevated to a place of worship as they are in modern society today. And there, we live in a day, and you've seen it and you've heard it said before, but you live in a day where if you murder an unborn child, people will clap for you. But if you, if you murder the, the spotted, darted snail toad, uh, they'll put you in jail and take everything you've got. We live in a twisted society today that worships the creature more than the Creator. God designed and created animals that they might serve and be in subjection and be to the pleasure and will and service of mankind. And then the devil comes along and he perverts God's intended purpose. He inhabits or he animates or however we want to say it. He speaks through this snake and this snake is now becoming the master of man and not the servant of man. This snake is commanding man what to do instead of man commanding it what to do. And the whole natural order is turned up on its head and it results in mankind uh, making a mistake and stepping out into sin and mankind being depraved as a result of it. And then before we even get to, uh, even get out of the wilderness, before Israel is even a nation, we find God taking. So here's God creates his creation with a with a purpose, and then the devil perverts that creation, then you know what God does? God co opts that perversion to restore things to the proper order. Now, he's the one speaking through an animal. And he's not doing it to slay a man, he's doing it to spare a man. He's not doing it to cloud and confuse the Word of God, but he's doing it to make clear the Word of God. So I think there's great significance to this donkey speaking. But as it relates to you and I, can I just tell you what my application is? I think it'll maybe make the preaching a little quicker and a little smoother. I think that here we find a reminder that every one of us as children of God, as servants of God, we are called to be a light and a witness in the world we find ourselves in. We as the servants of God, our first and, and primary responsibility is to be light and salt. That's what Christ taught us. We're a lot of things, but before we're any of them, we're light And we're salt. And we have a responsibility to speak the truth to the world around us. I want you to notice a few things. Notice the path of Balaam here. I would say this to you first and foremost. As Balaam is making this journey from his home to the king of Moab. And the king of Moab is trying to convince and is trying to recruit Balaam to curse the people of God. I think we could say, if nothing else, that this was a devilish path. Let me just make this statement. Man, the best friend in the world Balaam had was that donkey he rode upon that day. And you know why? Because that donkey was trying to keep Balaam from doing the will of Satan in his life. You know that Satan has a will for your life just like God does. And he'd love to see that become reality just as God would love to see his own will become reality in our lives. And just as God actively tries to bring us into his will, the devil tries to actively bring us into his will. And this path that Balaam was set upon, this path that Balaam was traveling, it was a satanic plot, it was a devilish path, it was the will of Satan, it was a path that was set out for him by the powers of hell. But thank God there was somebody, there was somebody trying to keep him from going down that path. You know, in your life and mine, one of the things that God has called us to do is try to point others away from hell and towards the Savior. And inasmuch as we know people that know the Lord personally and that are saved by the grace of God, one of our responsibilities, when we see them going down the wrong path, when we see them going down the satanic path, the devilish path, the sinful path, one of our responsibilities, is not always a pleasant one, but one of our responsibilities is to try to do something to stop them from ruining and wrecking their lives. I was a youth pastor for a number of years and I always struggled to and, and I always prayed to get my young people to understand that the things that I told them, I didn't tell them because I was trying to ruin their good time. I didn't tell them because I resented them being young. I was telling them these things because I wanted to keep them from some things that would hurt them, that would destroy them. I wanted to keep them from some things that the devil was trying to do in their life. Listen, our responsibility is to try to turn people from a devilish path. Not only was it a devilish path, let me say this, it was a drifting path. This is interesting. Look back. We didn't read this, but look back in verse number 12 of this chapter. The Bible says that after the uh, king of Moab, Balak, the son of Zippor, after he comes to Balaam and tries to hire him, and Balaam answered and says, Listen, I can't curse them. God's blessed them, so I can't curse them. I'm sorry. Uh, But he says, I will go and I will pray to God and I will find out if God will allow me, what He'll allow me to do. This is Balaam talking to the king of Moab. I'll go ask God and I'll find out what God will let me do. Look at verse 12. The Bible says that God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. Now one would think that would have been the end of the discussion. They show up, they try to hire Balaam. Balaam says, God said no. God said, I'm not supposed to go with you. Get on out of here. See you later. Hope you have safe travels. But that's not where it ends. The Bible says in verse 14, the princes of Moab rose up. They went unto Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Balak sent yet again princes, more and more honorable than they. They came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people. Now, you would imagine what Balaam's answer would be, right? You're wasting your time, fellas. I've already talked to God. God's already answered. I'm sorry you wasted your time coming here, but you already know the answer. The answer is no. But is that what Balaam says? Verse 18, Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore, I pray you, tarry ye also here this night that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Can I tell you something? When God's giving you an answer, you ain't got to pray about it more. God had already told Balaam what to do. And you would think his answer would have been, I'm sorry, fellas, you already have my my answer. It's a firm and final no. But instead, he says, Can't nothing Balak gives me cause me to do this? But I'll pray about it one more time. (laughs) Sounds like a man holding out for a bigger paycheck, don't you? So he came to the Lord. And listen to what happens. Verse number 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. Balaam rose up in the morning. We pick up from our text there. By the time we come... Why is it? Why is it that God tells Balaam in verse number 22, or verse, excuse me, number 20, says, uh, Earlier in the chapter, it says, Don't go with them. Balaam comes back, prays to God. God says, all right, Balaam, you can go with them. But promise me that you will not tell them anything except what I tell you. Next time we see Balaam, he's getting ready to have his head took off by the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord, in verse 35, we didn't read this, but after this episode that we have read, the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. You know what was happening here? At the very first, Balaam talks to God and says, Lord, I just want to do your will. Whatever you want. If you want me to go, I'll go. If you don't, I won't go. But God, I just want to do what you want. I want to speak your word. God says, don't go. Comes back and says, sorry, fellas, I can't go. Next time they show up, they're driving a Cadillac, not a Chevrolet. Next time they show up, man, they, they got folding money. And they say, uh, Balaam, are you sure? And he says, yes, I'm sure. But let me talk to God and make sure that he's sure. And I'll get back to you. Balaam, when he saw those bigger coffers roll up, he had already made his mind up that he was going to go with them. And that's why he turns and looks at him and he says, it doesn't matter how much Balak gives me, I am not going to speak against what the Lord tells me to speak. But I do want to go with you. Why would he want to go with them if he don't plan on telling them anything different than what the Lord told him already? Because he wanted to see how much more money they had. He was still convinced that he wasn't going to speak falsely, but he wanted to see how much money they had. And then by the time he gets on the road the next morning, he has already decided he'll say whatever he has to say to get that big payday. God knows that. God knows his heart. And so when God gives that final warning, He says, now Balaam, you're in this now and you're going to go with them. You're not going to turn back, but you better make sure you don't say anything but what I command you to say. Why did he say that? Because he knew Balaam had already intended to say something contrary to what God had told him to say. Here's what I want to say. Not only was it a devilish path, it was a drifting path. We might call it this, a slippery slope. He didn't never intend for it to go this far, but it went farther than he ever thought it would. By the way, Balaam does finally wind up finding a way to ensnare the children of Israel. And it's one of the most wicked, nefarious things throughout the history of their nation. He tempts them to intermarry with Midianites and Moabites, thereby through introducing idolatry into the uh, Israelite nation. Uh, he brings about their judgment from a righteous and holy God, and they continue to fight this Baal worship throughout their entire national history up until they go into Babylonian captivity. Balaam introduced something that became a generational bondage for them. Balaam, you know why that was? Because he flirted with sin. He was on a drifting path. It's our job when folks, when we see him on a slippery slope on a drifting path, to warn them against the danger ahead. Not only that, it was a deadly path. Man, God, His anger was kindled, verse 22. And the angel of the Lord was standing there with sword ready. He was just a moment away from the judgment of God falling upon him. And he didn't have sense enough to know it. But the donkey he rode in on did. You know, sometimes folks just don't have sense enough or they convince themselves of it in some way. They just cannot see that the way that they're living is a deadly path. A deadly path. It's our job as children of God, as servants of God, as light and salt. It's our job to warn people of their deadly path. Now, how do we do this? Well, I want you to notice not only the path of Balaam, uh, but I want you to notice the process of the donkey. So he does not just come out and start talking. Instead, he tries three different things. Notice verse number 23. Three, we see a passive attempt to keep Balaam from destroying himself. The Bible says in verse 23, The ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way, went into the field, and Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. In other words, the first time, the donkey does not do anything. He doesn't try to buck him. He just tries to gently carry him out of the way. You know, I've found this, that if at all possible in our lives, if we can do in kindness something that we maybe otherwise would do in in cruelty or in callousness, we'll always choose kindness first. There are times that we have to get rough with people. There's times we have to get, get caustic with people. There's times we have to speak aggressively with people. I'm talking about people that we love. I'm talking about people we care about, but we see them headed down the wrong path and we're trying to keep them from going down it. There's times they need a dose of the truth in, in hard and in a bitter way. But if at all possible, we ought to try in kindness to first turn them from the wrong path. Hey listen, on the workplace, sometimes we get to thinking we're Billy Sunday and we're gonna go and preach the hell out of people and really what they need is somebody to come and in kindness be a witness for the truth. Sometimes we think we're really gonna set someone straight, we're really gonna give them a piece of our mind. I found this, that most of the time people that are all too ready to give a piece of their mind wind up falling short and coming short of a piece for themselves one of these days. In other words, you're always giving away a piece of your mind, don't be surprised if your head's empty. The reality is we ought to try to do it with kindness if possible. We see a passive attempt. Then notice verse 24. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself under the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. We see a painful attempt to try to rescue Balaam and save his life. Now, I would remind you of this. The donkey did not run into the wall in order to crush Balaam's foot. But here he is in a narrow path, and he knows that he's better off running into the wall than running into the sword of the angel of the Lord. In other words, he did not go out of his way to hurt Balaam. But just in the process of trying to save him, there was a painful exchange. You know sometimes our greatest attempts tries we may to keep people from getting hurt feelings to keep people uh, from from getting upset and getting mad at us. There are times when the only way that we can get someone's attention, the only way that we can communicate a truth, it involves hurt feelings. Hey, listen, the wounds of a friend are faithful, and there's times that, as a friend when we speak truth to someone it's going to hurt their feelings. But if we love them, we'll be willing to do it in the right spirit, in the right attitude, in the right way. By the way, I'd say this. I bet you that hurt that donkey as much as it hurt Balaam. But it did not matter. She was willing to experience the pain, and she was willing to put him through the pain, if that's what it took to save his life. And then look at verse 26. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he smote the ass with a staff. Now he's not just whipping her with a switch, now he's beating her with a stick. And the reason why is because she laid down underneath him. I would say this, this was a protesting attempt. She said, I will not carry him to his death. If he's going to go, he's going to have to walk. But I will not enable him. I will not, I will not equip him. I will not facilitate his destruction. If he's gonna go this way, he's gonna have to go without me. So she just lays down in protest and says, I will not be complicit in his destruction. You know, there are times in our life in trying to keep people from making shipwreck of their life. There are times when all we can do is push them out on their own and say, I will not help you destroy yourself. I will not help you destroy yourself. We live in a society today where if people can, they'll wreck their their lives and get your help to do it. And that's what Balaam wanted. He wanted this donkey to carry him to destruction. But she loved her master enough, and she had enough sins, certainly more than him, that she said, I'm not going to be a part of this. Sometimes you'll lose friends over that. Sometimes there'll be hurt feelings through that. But if we really love somebody, we've got to be willing sometimes to draw some lines and take some stands and say, I'm sorry, but I will not carry you to your destruction. I will not excuse you destroying yourself. I will not facilitate you making shipwreck. I refuse to be a part of you making a wreck of your life. I see a protesting attempt here. But then I want you to notice the pig-headedness of Balaam. How does he respond? Well, I see three things. I think they're all three instructive. First, I noticed his bullheadedness. Now, I've had bad days. You ever had a bad day? You ever had a day where about halfway through it, you thought, God, I don't know what you're trying to tell me, but I'm just going to go climb back in bed and try this again tomorrow? You ever been trying to get something done and just everything going as wrong as it could possibly go? And eventually you just said, well, God, you just must not want this to happen. So I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to wait on you. And if you want it done, you'll just have to open the door and you'll have to lead me and you'll have to guide me. You would think, later on, the donkey looks at Balaam and says, has I ever acted this way before? Balaam says, no. You would think, and by the way, animals, I don't think animals necessarily have a greater intelligence than most of us, but I do think they have good instincts. I do think they have good instincts. You'll see this, man. A herd of cattle will know it's getting get ready to storm before the meteorologist does. And they do have a good instinct. And you would think just a man that has grown up around animals, a man that has for years owned this very donkey and has ridden this donkey, you would think that when that donkey started to act funny, that he would have had enough wisdom to stop and say something ain't right here. But he is so—he doesn't have his mind on on the donkey. He's got his mind on that gold, and all he can see is what he wants, and all he can see is the path that he's set out. And he is so absorbed in his sin that he can't even notice that God is trying to save him from destroying himself. It's amazing how often God will set up roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. You see this, by the way, in the life of Paul. Paul made up his mind he was going to go to Jerusalem. And God told him and told him and told him and told him and told him. Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. He told him through direct revelation. He told him through prophets. He told him through friends. He told him through various people. But Paul said, none of these things move me, neither count on my life so dear. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't care what anyone says. He enshrined it in nobility and in spiritual motivation, but it didn't change the fact that God had forbid him from going to Jerusalem. And he had made up his mind to do something that God didn't want him to do. There were times that even Paul the apostle was just flat out bullheaded as Balaam was here. And sometimes when you're trying to rescue and warn somebody, it's amazing the ability they have to disregard and dismiss the warnings of God. I see his bullheadedness. Not only that, I see his belligerence. His first instinct is to start beating this animal. Let me tell you, can I say this again? His first instinct, the animal that's trying to save him, the animal that's trying to rescue him, his first instinct is to lash out against that animal. If that's not a picture of somebody that's on a path of sin, I don't know what is. The first thing they'll do is call you judgmental. The first thing they'll do is say you're jealous. The first thing they'll do is say you're ugly or you're cruel or you're unkind. But you know what that is? That, that's nothing more than the flesh with its last final gasp. That's the death rattle of their will, trying to convince them that they are right and that you are wrong. Now, you'd think it would get better, right? You could almost give Balaam a little bit of a break. I mean, he's walking this donkey along the side, and all of a sudden the donkey just takes off and goes down the field. And maybe he'd think, well, that dumb donkey, what's she thinking? Whop it over the head real good and get back into the path and go on and never notice anything different. But over and over and over again this happens. And instead of heeding the warning of God, you know what happens? His beating of the animal intensifies. He don't give up because he's committed on this path of sin. So you know what he does? It grows more hostile, more toxic. And by the time you get to the end, he's not beating it with a switch, he's beating it with a staff, with a stick. He's trying to kill this thing. In fact, he tells this donkey, if I had a sword, I'd kill you right now. It's amazing how belligerent people can become when they're committed to a path of sin. To the very people that love them, to the very people that are trying to help them. Then notice his blindness. (laughs) Man, I'm fascinated by this. Notice verse 28. Workshop this with me in your mind. Would you do that? And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? And Balaam said unto the ass, pause. How would we imagine this conversation would go? I'll tell you what it would go like for me. I think. The donkey would say, what are you beating on me for? And I think my first response would be, where would you learn how to talk? Wouldn't you imagine that before he ever answered this donkey's question, he might climb off of this thing and look at it in wonder, in awe. And say, why are you talking? You don't have the ability to talk. You're a donkey. This is strange. This is weird. Am I dreaming? But no, he just has a conversation with his donkey. The donkey says, why are you beating me? And he says, because thou hast mocked me. Now there's a lot of things that I've seen animals do. But he says, cause you're making fun of me, donkey. That's why I'm beating you. Do you not see how weird this is getting? And then he says this, I would, there were a sword in my hand, for now I'd kill thee. Here this man is, he is a prophet of God. And here he is standing in the middle of the road having an argument with his donkey and telling his donkey that he's beating this donkey because this donkey is making fun of him and if he could, if he had a sword, he'd just kill that donkey and shut him up once and for all. And at no point does this seem weird to him. At no point does he think, wait a minute, this should not be happening. The donkey pleads her case, really does it very well if we're being honest. Look what he says. Look what she says. Verse number 30, And the ass said unto Balaam, Am I not thine ass, upon which thou hast ridden ever since I was thine unto this day? Was I ever want to do so unto thee? And now he's calming down and he can be reasoned with by his donkey. And he says, well, no, that's true. At no point does he stop and say, this is weird, this is strange. At no point does he say, this is miraculous. You know, let me say it this way. It's amazing what belligerence and bullheadedness will do to blind us to the miraculous that God is doing in our lives to try to prevent us from destroying ourselves you would think he would have said this is strange, this is unusual, this is divine, this is a message from God. How else? As a prophet of God, what else could he think? Then this is a message from God. God is speaking to me through this donkey. But he does not think that because he is so committed to his sin. Sometimes when we try to help people, sometimes when we try to warn them we point to what God's done in their life, we point to the truth of the divine word of God, but in utter uh, absolute and resolute blindness, they will turn away the witness and warning of God. Finally, the Lord makes himself known the Bible says in verse number thirty one then balaam, then the Lord opened the eyes of balaam can i can I show a contrast here uh, look look back with me at verse number twenty eight The Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said unto Balaam, and nothing changed. It wasn't until verse number 31, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. Hey, listen, God can open our mouth to speak, but until He opens their eyes to see, nothing will change. That does not mean that God opening your mouth to speak is not meaningful and vital and valuable. But it is to say that as long as we're being willing to be a receptacle, an oracle, a mouthpiece of God, we've done our job, we've done our responsibility. And it's up to God and that person to get that thing right and to get it settled. We cannot make someone do right. We cannot make them repent. We cannot make them get saved. We can't make them live right. Our job is like this donkey's, just to speak as God permits. But we find that a few things happen here. One, we find that the donkey was vindicated. (laughs) Look what it says. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. and He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. He bowed down his head, fell flat on his face. Let me stop. Let Let me go back a little bit and say, before we talk about the vindication of the donkey, can I say this? What the donkey was trying to get done got done. What was the donkey trying to do? He was trying to stop Balaam. Balaam was getting ready to destroy himself. And the donkey, though, though she got beat for it, though she got maligned for it, though she got argued with over it, though she seemed to get nothing for her trouble, when the Lord showed up, the job got completed. And Balaam was stopped in his tracks. Listen, we're trying to be an element of truth in someone's life. We're trying to witness and we're trying to help them and we're trying to stop them from making shipwrecks. Sometimes it gets discouraging. Sometimes we feel like we're never going to get it done. Sometimes we feel like the task is impossible. But listen, look up. Trust God. God's able. And if we'll be willing to be used of Him to be His mouthpiece, to be His servant, God has the ability to get someone's attention. He stops the, the prophet. Then notice what it says. The angel of the Lord said unto him, Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Behold, I went out to withstand thee, because thy way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me, and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely, (laughs) I love this, surely now I also, I would have slain thee, and saved her alive. Boy, talk about vindication. I'm talking about never a prouder donkey in, in this world probably than that donkey at that moment. If you thought a donkey was stubborn and haughty before, you should have seen this donkey after God showed up and said, your donkey saved your life. God literally shows up and asks this, why are you attacking this donkey? Why are you beating this donkey? This donkey is the only thing standing in the way of you and destruction. In fact, Balaam, if we're going to get real honest, this donkey's worth a lot more than you are. If I would have had my way, Balaam, I would have killed you and I would have rode out of here on that donkey because it's a pretty good donkey. In other words, God took the part of this animal and said, this donkey has done right by you. This donkey has loved you. This donkey has served you well by withstanding you in your endeavor. Uh, Listen, I'll just say this. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we feel like we're maligned and mistreated and misunderstood. But there will come a day when God is going to bring everything out into the light There'll come a day God's going to set every crooked thing straight. God's going to lower every hill and raise every valley. And there'll come a day when if we've served God faithfully, there'll come a day where if we've withstood against wickedness, there'll come a day when, if we've loved people even when it was hard to do so, and even when they hated us for doing so, there'll come a day that God will make plain that we were in the right and that we had their best interests at heart. This donkey was vindicated. And by the way, let me just say this. Balaam was spared. Sadly, Balaam does go on to make more mistakes. But do you know that even with his mistakes, Balaam lived to be an old man? He could have died this day. But one stubborn, ugly donkey stood in the way of him and certain destruction. That donkey made a difference. That donkey made a difference throughout Jewish history. That donkey made a history, a difference throughout biblical history. In fact, we are tonight reading and preaching and hearing and pondering and meditating upon that very donkey. Because she was willing to speak when called upon to do so. I hope we'll be willing to be salt and light. And listen, it's not lost upon me. There could be somebody in this room. I I don't say this with anybody in mind. I don't know anybody's heart. I know very few people's circumstances. But there could be folks in this room that, that you're in the donkey's place. And people are, I'm talking about people are hating you for just you trying to love them and help them. People are disregarding and dismissing you and despising you. I know it's easy to get discouraged, but keep on loving them. Keep on, do it in kindness, not in cruelty, not in, not in causticness. Love them in kindness, but keep being a voice for the truth in their life. They need it more than they know it. That Balaam needed this donkey more than he could have ever dreamed. And those people need a witness of truth in their life more than they could ever imagine. But then there might be some folks in here in the place of Balaam headed down on a wrong path and committed to it. Don't disregard the roadblocks of God. Heed the warnings of God and turn before the chastening and judgment of God has to fall in your life.